Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I, I don't know why I feel to say this. I, I, just, I just keep feeling to say it. I'm, we totally understand that there might be some that have questions about what's just happened. Maybe it's totally new and foreign to you and you have questions. We get that. We understand that. We expect that. Just don't mock it. Just don't mock it. Because the reality is, is the thing that you don't understand is actually the very thing you need. You might not know you need it. You might not understand that you need it. But the very presence of God that is in this room right now is the very thing you need. It's the very thing that will change your life. It'll, it's the very... You've been looking for answers all of your life and you've been looking for it out and what this world has to offer. But the very thing that you're questioning in this room is in fact the very thing you've been looking for all of your life. It's the answer to your question. It's the solution to your problem. And his name is Jesus. Can I get a witness in the house? I said his name is Jesus. He's what I need. He's what you need. He's what we all need. He's what our world needs. Jesus is our Savior, our Redeemer, our Healer. Our, he's the one who redeems us and heals us and lifts us up. He's the one we need. So today, we're blessed and honored to have each and every one of you in the house of the Lord. We have several guests and visitors that are here we, we, we say this, we mean it. You have honored us. You have honored us with your presence today as our guest. And we don't want to embarrass you, but we just want to give you a hand clap of appreciation. We, we are so honored to have you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. I believe the Lord has already ministered to many in the house. He has ministered to many in this room and um, I do feel on this Father's Day, I don't always preach a specific message to a certain demographic of our church on a specific days, be it Mother's Day or Father's Day or whatever it is. We want to honor our fathers to maybe target the men a little bit today. Is that all right? We want to honor our fathers. Amen. In fact, why don't you be seated just real quick. I want all of our dads, all of our fathers, if you would, to stand can we give them all a hand clap of appreciation? Love them. We love our dads. We love our fathers. We honor you today. We honor you today. At the conclusion of our service will honor you even more and have some things for you, just a token of our appreciation on this very, very special day. But today, with the Lord's help, I want to talk about spiritual warriors. Turn, your, turn to two or three and say, we need some spiritual warriors. Many of the remarkable stories that are written about in the Old Testament portion of our scripture revolve around a young shepherd boy by the name of David. This young shepherd boy wouldn't stay a young shepherd boy. For he would eventually grow up to be the great king of Israel. However, as you read his story, which we don't have time to do so today, but as you read his story, you'll find that his ascension to the throne was not without its difficulties. Because shortly before, or excuse me, after he was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the king, David fell out of favor with the establishment and he had to flee into the wilderness for his very own life. But in that difficult time, he was not in the wilderness by himself. Anybody glad you, when you're a part of the church, you don't have to go through a wilderness by yourself? He was not in the wilderness by himself, for as we read in the Old Testament, there were with him a group of his loyal followers that the Bible would call David's 
mighty men. Now these were some bad dudes. Bad meaning like tough. This, this entourage of mighty men are described as being a special elite force of fearless fighters. They were extraordinarily strong, exceptionally courageous, unflinchingly brave, and completely committed to David and to the people of God. They were arguably 37 of the most fiercely loyal and dedicated warriors that have ever lived. Story after story in scripture shows them often outnumbered by staggering odds. And yet they stood their ground and continued to fight themselves to victory. In fact, time after time after time on fields of battle, they were the last men standing. One story in 2 Samuel recounts a time when David was fleeing and he was hot and he was tired and he was weary. And he began to think about a particular well in Bethlehem where he used to drink cool, clean, clear water. And to no one in particular, they're just kind of sitting around the fireplace. David is kind of off in his own world and he's thinking about how tired he is and how thirsty he is and he remembers this well in Bethlehem and he just kind of whispers it. He just kind of says it, uh, what he was thinking. He wasn't speaking to anybody in particular. He just kind of says it out loud. He says that, oh, that I could have a drink from the well of Bethlehem. He wasn't expecting to get the drink, Brother Tap. He wasn't asking somebody to go get him that drink. It was simply a remark that he spoke to no one in particular. He just said what he was thinking. And yet a few of these mighty men overheard his whisper. And what you have to keep in mind is that at this point in history, Israel's hated enemy, the Philistines, had taken control of this city of Bethlehem where the well was. Now this city was heavily guarded by their adversary, the Philistines. And yet, I mean, there's thousands of the Philistines guarding and and entrenched in this city of Bethlehem. And three guys, (laughs) three, three of these mighty men that had overheard David around the campfire that day say those words on their own. He didn't ask them to do it. Just on their own, they make their way to Bethlehem, fight their way through the lines of the Philistines, make their way to the well, draw water out, and they take it back to David. They elude the pursuing Philistines to make their way back to present the water David. I say again, these were some tough dudes. One of these mighty warriors was a man by the name of Abishai who killed 300 of the enemy with a spear. Another was Josheb Bashabeth, which it's slightly impressive that I said that, who killed 800 of the enemy, not in, in multiple battles all added up together, in one battle. Not with a machine gun. With a spear. I, I know it's crazy, but the way my mind works, I, I, it must have been something to see. I mean, I get it if you're, you know, up in the tree with the sniper rifle picking people off. I get it. But you got a spear. And it's 800 guys. I mean, there's got, you know, you get five in front of you, there's 795 could come behind you. I don't get it. He's a bad dude. Another warrior was a man by the name of Eleazar who, who the Bible says stayed on the battlefield when all the other lesser warriors had fled the scene in fear and he killed the adversaries of God's people until the Bible says his hand was stuck, clenched to his sword. Was stuck to his sword. He couldn't even take his hand off the sword. And the simple point I feel to make from this biblical reality is that yes, God anointed David to be the leader. And yes, God anointed David to be the visionary. But none of what David was called to do ever gets accomplished if it wasn't for some mighty men fighting alongside of him. 
Because when God raises up a man to do a work, he also raises up mighty men to help accomplish that work. Come on, Jesus. So on this Father's Day, I rise to this pulpit to pause and to give thanks for the men of this church that are warring in battle with me. Firstly and specifically, I want to thank God for men who are not afraid to war in worship. I thank God for men who are not ashamed, who are not afraid, who are not intimidated to lift their hands, to lift their voices in the presence of Almighty God and give Him praise. I'm thankful for our ladies that worship, but I'm thankful for some men that said, I'm not going to let anybody out praise me. I'm the spiritual leader of my home. I'm going to lead in praise. I'm going to lead in worship. I'm going to lead in the things... I thank God for men. I thank God for men that are not too manly to get out and dance a little bit and shout in the presence of the Lord and rejoice in the presence of Almighty God. I thank God for men like that. I thank God for men who have not bought into the cultural lie that says that men shouldn't cry or that men shouldn't show any kind of emotion. Or that men should just be stoic and passive when it comes to their outward expressions of gratitude and thankfulness. I thank God for men who are willing to weep in the presence of the one who changed their life. I thank God for men who are willing to cry and clap and sing and rejoice and make a joyful noise unto the Lord because you know he's been good to you. I said you know he's been good to you. He's blessed you. He's redeemed you. He's saved you. He's forgiven you. He's blessed your home. He's blessed your marriage. He's blessed your finances. He's blessed your family. And so I'm not just going to sit here like us, uh, like just a, some sort of whatever. I'm going to lift my voice and I'm going to give God praise. I'm going to give him praise. I'm going to worship him and magnify him. Thank God for men like that. Thank God for men who don't just, you know, well, well, I'll leave all that emotional stuff to the ladies. I'll leave all that emotional stuff, you know, to the kids because I'm a man. Come on, I thank God for men that know how to worship. Let me, pro- let me prove this point to you like this. For the Bible says that this David that we've referenced was one day watching over his sheep. And a lion, a lion, you ever seen a lion? Not a kitty cat, a lion comes out of the bushes and attacks one of his sheep. And David says, I ain't having none of that. And it doesn't say he picks up a spear and throws it at him. It doesn't say he uses his slingshot, which he was pretty good at. Do you know what the Bible says? It says he killed the lion. Didn't just scare him away. He killed the lion with his hands. Uh, Listen, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard that story before. But think about it. It's a lion (laughs) with his hands. And then, if, if, if that wasn't enough, Sometime later, a bear, <laughs> a bear comes out, tries to get one of his sheep, and says, I ain't having it. He grabs a hold of the bear with his hands, and he kills the bear. He kills the bear. Hear me. Let's just, let's just settle it, guys, ladies too. But Anybody that can kill a lion and a bear with their hands is a pretty tough guy. Can we, can we just all agree on that? Okay. That same guy, David, would also write these words. Psalms 145 and 1. David's psalm of praise. 
That word praise there means to sing loudly. I will extol thee, my God. O King, I will bless thy name forever and ever. That word bless means to kneel in honor and adoration. So he was getting his body involved in his worship. He was getting his action involved in his worship. Verse 2, every day will I bless thee and I will praise thy name forever and ever. That word praise there is the word that means clamorously foolish or mad. Which isn't speaking of him, it is speaking of what others may have thought of him when they watched him praising his Lord. There would be some that would look at him in his praise and said, that guy's crazy. That guy's lost it. Look at him going after that. Look at him dancing. Look at him shouting. Look at him crying. Look at him praising. Look at him spinning around in the presence of the Lord. Just like some of you might have thought about 30 minutes ago, some of us were crazy in this house. But David said, I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. You want to call me mad? You want to call me foolish? I don't care. I'm going to dance. I'm going to shout. I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship. I'm going to lift up the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Verse 5. One generation shall praise thy works to another and thou shalt declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of thy glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. Hear me. He was tougher than any man in this room. He was arguably more brave than any man in this room and yet he sang loudly. He knelt. He worshipped. He danced. He shouted. He rejoiced. He praised. He magnified the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I say it's time for men to stop taking their cues from this world for how we are to act in the presence of the Lord and we instead start taking our cues from the word of the Lord. For this book models to us real men, tough men, manly men that also know how to stand and kneel and shout and dance and lift their voices in order to make a joyful noise unto God. It tells us about real men that don't care what anybody thinks. They're going to praise God. Call me mad. Call me foolish. Call me crazy. I don't care. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to magnify him. I'm going to lift him up. He's been good to me. He's brought me from a mighty long way. I'm going to lift him up. Uh, I always find it interesting. David, the Bible says, played a harp. Now, I've said this before. I'll say it again, but you know, I don't know. But I guess there may be a connotation that the harp is not the most manly of instruments. But you tell him that. <laughs> I ain't saying a word. Remember about the bear? <laughs> he worshipped. He worshipped. He praised God. He magnified Jesus. And he was a man. I said he was a man's man. And he lifted up Jesus. Let me show you the importance, dads, fathers, men. Listen, let me show the importance, and even to everybody in the house, but let me show the importance of being a true worshiper. The Old Testament story, we find Joshua leading the children of Israel into battle against a group of the adversaries of the people of God called the Amalekites. And we read that while he was leading the army into battle, his spiritual father Moses was on a hill nearby. And the Bible says that as long as Moses kept his arms in the air, the battle went into the Israelites' favor. But if he ever put his arms down, they would begin to be defeated. Now you just got to know that Joshua, down there fighting in this battle, he kept watching his father. <laughs> he kept watching his spiritual father. 
And as long as his spiritual father had his hands in the air, he knew everything's going to be all right. Let me speak to some fathers today. Let me speak to some men today in order to let us know that whether you know it or not, whether you see it or not, whether you recognize it or not, your family is watching what you do in times of battle. Your family is taking their cue from what you do, how you act. They're watching you. That's why in time of battle, that's why in time of struggle, that's why in times of difficulty, our family needs to see us with our hands in the air. Our families need to see us with our hands lifted, praising and magnifying and lifting up the name of the Lord. When times get tough, your kids need to see you praising God. When loss invades your home, your family needs to see you praising God. When you're going through the midnight hour, your wife needs to see you magnifying the king of kings there needs to be some men who will keep on worshiping even when it's not going well because you got some family that's watching you and they know as long as he's got his hands in the air everything's going to be I might not be able to explain how. All I know is when daddy keeps worshiping, things just keep happening. I don't know how it works out. It seems like there's no way out. But all I know is when daddy keeps his hands in the air, when daddy keeps a praise on his lips, when my dad keeps a worship in his heart, it just seems like God makes a way and God turns it in our favor and God opens the doors that need. Come on, men. We need to show our families what it looks like like to praise God in the darkness. We need to show our families what it looks like to worship God when everything's not going good. Come on. Come on. Don't let, listen, listen. I'm so thankful for the women of our church. But I preached to you a couple weeks ago. I'm so thankful for your worship. But men, we cannot let the ladies out worship us. And there ought to be some ladies that are saying, Amen. Amen. Now, ladies, I want you to give us a run for our money. Don't let us off easy. But, men, we should not let our ladies out worship us. If we're the spiritual leaders, that that, and that's not a self-appointed title. That's a biblical-appointed title. We are to be the spiritual leaders. If we are to be the spiritual leaders, then we should be leading. Leaders lead. Leaders don't talk about leading. Leaders lead. And if we're to be the spiritual leaders of our home and of, our, of this church, then we need to be leading in worship. I'm laughing because I probably shouldn't tell this story, but my wife and I, you know, we get up and we pray, and and it's uh, I never want her to pray longer than me. <laughs> and I, now we're gonna have shouldn't even have said it. I just keep praying, keep praying, keep praying until she gets up. Okay, I'm done now, too. But you ain't going to pray longer than me. Now, that's funny, and I don't think it's a prideful thing. I, 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 I feel like I'm trying to show something by example there. Times of struggle and difficulty, man, we need to have our hands. Woo. Hallelujah. So I thank God for men who are worshipers. I thank God for men who are not afraid to war in prayer. I thank God for men who aren't afraid to war in ministry. I thank God for men who aren't afraid to war in the fulfillment of the vision. 
I thank God for the men of this church who are plugged in and the men in this church that are faithful and committed to helping to advance the vision that God has placed over us. Because one thing I know full well is that I cannot accomplish what God has called me to accomplish all by myself. But with him, for whatever reason, appointing me to this position, I also know that he's also raised up some mighty men. Probably more mighty than even I, more spiritual than even I. And I thank God for the mighty men of this church who are warring with me, who have moved beyond the point of just coming to church on Thursday and coming to church on Sunday and sitting on a pew and coming for the show and leaving early. But you got here and you said, I want to be a mighty man. I want to be a mighty man of valor. I want to do something great for the kingdom of God. I want to fulfill the vision. So let me just say this, if you are a man in this church and you're not fully committed and you are not fully warring in the defense and the furthering of the vision, then I say it's time for you to come out and get on the battlefield with us. Come on, I said it's time for you to come on out and get on the battlefield with us. We're doing a good work here. We're accomplishing good things here. We're moving forward and taking territory for the kingdom of God. And we need some more mighty men to get on board and help accomplish the vision. I've got some fighting men with me, but we need some more fighting men with me. I'd like to see a few more men get lost in worship. I'd like to see a few more of our men get on fire for the things of God. I'd like to see a few more of our men passionate for revival and passionate for the harvest that's been promised to us. Hear me. you can, Guys, listen now. And I'm not beating anybody up, but I'm trying to help us. You cannot win any battles by staying in the back. Battles are won on the front lines. So I say it's time for some men to join me on the front lines. Come on, we've used our excuses long enough. We've given our reasons long enough. We've placated ourselves long enough. It's time to get on the front lines. Come on, I'm gonna preach it. It's time for some men to step up. It's time for some men to get on fire for the things of God. It's time for some men that say, hey, I've just been going through the motions. I've just kind of been hanging around the fringes. I've just kind of been watching from afar. It's time for you to get on the front lines. It's time for you to join together with what God is doing and say, I wanna be a part. I wanna be in the middle. I wanna be right in the middle of what God is doing. Come on, somebody put your hands together and give him praise. Now listen, this isn't my notes, but I want to help somebody now. Specifically some men in the room. Let me tell you something. The greatest fulfillment you will ever, ever receive in your life, the most fulfilled you will ever, ever feel in your life is in working for the kingdom. It's in what you do for God. That is, that is where your fulfillment will come. You say, well, I don't know. You know, I got a pretty good job. I make pretty good money. I got a nice home, got a nice car, got a family, whatever. Listen, those things are great and wonderful and I'm happy for you. But you will never feel true fulfillment in those things, ever. You say, well, you don't know who I am. You don't know my degrees. You don't know my education. Doesn't matter. I'm thankful for your education. But you're never going to feel true fulfillment in life by education. By homes, by accolades, by finances, by cars. You're never going to feel real fulfillment by any of those things. But you want to know how you're going to get fulfillment? When you get your hands involved in the work of the kingdom. When you start doing something for Jesus. When you get plugged into the things of God and start working for the Lord. That's what's going to bring about the greatest fulfillment of your life. That's the thing that's going to make you feel complete and whole. 
Because, and I've said it and I'll keep saying it, the reason why you have the ability to earn the income you have, you've got the wisdom, you've got that certain talent, you've got that certain ability to earn that money, to do that job, to work that career, to do all those kind of things. Let me tell you something. You want to know who gave you that ability? God gave you that ability. And he didn't give you that ability to earn a paycheck. He allows you. It's a secondary blessing for you to use that ability to earn a paycheck. But that's not the main reason he gave you that ability and that wisdom and that talent. The main reason he gave it to you is so that you would use it for the kingdom. So that you would use it for the purpose and the plan of God. Because there's a call of God on your life whether you know it or not. I said there's a call of God on your life whether you recognize it or not. And with that call came the capability to fulfill that call. And that's why you're good at that certain thing. That's why you can accomplish that certain task. That's why that certain thing comes so easy for you. Because God wants you to use it for the kingdom. He wants you to use it for his glory is there anybody that believes what I'm preaching right now so I'm hurrying I'm hurrying but there was one of these mighty warriors in particular that I just feel to focus on as we continue you thought I was going to say come to a close didn't you His name was Beniah. And here's what the Bible says about him. 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 20. And Beniah, he's one of the mighty men. And Beniah, the son of Jehoiada. The son of a valiant man. Of Kabzeel. Who had done many acts. He slew two lion-like men of Moab. And then now here we go again. He went down also, and he slew a lion. What's with these guys and lions? And I'm running. In the middle of a pit, in time of snow. Now here we find Benaiah was a mighty man. He was a mighty warrior. He was a tremendous force of good and for God. And on this particular day, which there's probably a message to be preached, Pastor Rima, for why he did it. (laughs) But on this particular day, for whatever reason, he goes down into a pit in the snow and kills a lion. The lion, I mean, you would have to say, would probably be one of the worst opponents you could fight. The pit was the worst possible place to fight a lion. There's no retreat. It's just pit. I mean, you're just in there. You're not going anywhere. One of you are coming out and the other one's not. The pit is the worst possible place to fight. And I would say that in the snow would be the worst possible conditions. Slipping and sliding, trying to fight a lion (laughs) as if it wasn't hard enough. And yet he was successful in battle. Stay with me now. He was brave. He was mighty. He was courageous. He was victorious. He was daring. He was fearless. He was bold. What a man Benaiah had become. What a blessing to the kingdom Benaiah truly was. What a success his life had turned out to be. He's one of David's mighty men. There was only 37 of them in all of the kingdom. Can you imagine what it must have been like, the honor to be one of the 37 men out of the entire kingdom to be chosen to be one of David's mighty men. What an honor. And Benaiah is one of them. He was honored by all. He was heralded by all. He was respected by all. But I need you to see that the Bible specifically tells us. It doesn't just say, and Benaiah goes down into the pit on a snowy day and kills a lion. 
No, 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 no. It says, we want you to know who his daddy was. The Bible specifically tells us that he was the son of Jehoiada, who was a valiant man. And if God wanted us to know who his dad was, then there had to be significance to that understanding. And there is. For that significance, I believe, lies in the meaning of Jehoiada's name. Because Jehoiada means known by God. Known. God knew who he was. Which speaks of him, hear me now, which speaks of him having a relationship with God. You don't know somebody unless you have a relationship with them. And so that speaks of Jehoiada having a relationship with God. So get this now. The dad, come on Jesus, had a relationship with God. And that produced a child that would grow up to do great things. The dad had a relationship with the Lord. And that brought about a child that would eventually be mighty in his accomplishments. The dad had, an, had a relationship with the Lord. And that produced a child that would do something so heroically wonderful that it would be forever cataloged in the word of God for all generations. Hear me now. Hear me. If we want our kids to do something great, then it is absolutely imperative that we as their fathers have a relationship with the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. The most important thing is not that you teach them how to play baseball. Nothing wrong with that. I'm teaching my boy. Nothing wrong with that. But the most important thing is not that you teach them how to tie their shoes or how to use good manners. The most important thing you could ever do for your child is for you personally to have a relationship with the Lord. Benaiah became somebody great because he had a father that had a relationship with the Lord. And our kids will do something great if we as their dads will have a relationship with the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to upset anybody. All right? But let me tell you something. We got so many parents that are pushing their kids to all these things, sports or academics, all this kind of stuff. Nothing wrong with any of it. But they feel like, you know what, if I can just dedicate my life to the advancement of my child, then I'm a success. And my child will become something at the expense of that individual's relationship with God. Well, where are you going to be? Well, we can't be there Sunday because we got this. and Can't be there here because we got this. And I'm going to have to miss this, that, and the other because I got to take my kid to this and this practice and this game and this whatever and whatever, whatever, whatever. And at the expense of their relationship with Jesus Christ, they pursue after uh, that which their child wants to be or wants to become. And they feel like they are doing what is good as a parent by doing so. I'm just trying to help somebody understand the greatest thing you could ever do for your kid is for you personally to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, you do what you want to do. I'm not your boss. But let me tell you what I would suggest. You would, I, I'll tell you what I'll suggest. Tell your kids, listen. You want to get involved in sports? Let's get involved in sports. You want to get involved in these extracurricular things? Let's get involved in these things. But we're not going to do it on Sundays, and we're not going to do it on Thursday nights, and we're not going to do it here or there or there, and you're not going to miss camp for it. 
and you're not going to miss youth rallies for it. You're not going to miss youth convention for it. If your coach will let you do it around those things, then go ahead and do it. But we're going to put God first in this house. And we're going to put our relationship with Jesus Christ first in this house. And kid, I want you to see that I put the things of God first in my life. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> because at the end of the day, Brother Ben, really, how many kids go pro? Come on, somebody. My kid's going pro. Yeah, you say that, and 750,000 other dads are saying that, and there's only a certain few spots in the pro leagues. You say, well, you're squashing my dreams. I ain't squashing your dreams. Let your kid do whatever. But let me tell you something. At the end of the day, that kid needs to know that you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ that is greater, that is greater than any sports dream, any... Why? Because what that kid does for God is what's going to matter. Well, is that okay? I hear guys say stuff like this. But I don't, you know, I, I don't need all that God stuff to be a good dad. I, I, don't, I don't need all that church stuff to be a good dad. I don't need, a, I don't need all that Bible stuff to be a good dad. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7. The just man, that word just means the righteous man, the man that wants to do what is right, walketh it is in his integrity. And then what? His children are blessed after him. Walking in righteousness means that we are striving to do that which is right. But we need to understand, men, fathers, hear me. We need to understand that righteousness is not determined by what the world says is right. Because the world will tell you, if you listen to the right person, the world will tell you whatever you want to hear to be right. It's not about, righteousness is not determined by what the world says is right. Righteousness is not even what our upbringing says is right. Well, this is the way I was raised, so it must be right. Righteousness is not determined even by what was modeled to us. The source of everything that is right comes from this book. This is what's right. Not what the culture says, not what Hollywood says, not what the news media says, not what Hollywood says, not what your friend says, not what Facebook says, not what Twitter says, not what the sports heroes say, what this book says. Let God be true and every man a liar. What God says is true. And if any man speaks contrary to what God says, they are a liar. It is not true. What the book says is true. This is where we understand what is right. Right here. Right here. This is right. This is right. So, when we have a relationship with this, Then the Bible says our children will be blessed. So if we want our children to be blessed, then it has to start with you and I having a relationship with the Word. Which means to have a relationship with the God of the Word. So don't allow the enemy to convince you that all this church stuff isn't important and all this God stuff isn't important and they're just a bunch of crazy cuckoos. Come on. He's just trying to lie to you because, and he, because he doesn't want your children to be blessed. We have to do the best we can with our children. 
We have to work hard at being a good dad and a good father. But if we want our children to be blessed, then we need to first make sure that our hearts are right with God. First and foremost. Well, I want to work hard with my kid. I want to train them. I want to, I want to teach them. I want to do all this kind of stuff. Great, wonderful, fantastic. Do all of those things. But guess what you need to do first? The first thing you have to do is not anything that revolves around your kid. The first thing you need to do is say, listen, the best way I can be the best dad I can possibly be is for me to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the number one thing. Nothing else is more important than that. But you just don't understand what, how much time I give to them and how much, how much I invest into them and how, what I give for them and what I sacrifice for them. And, and I give them this and that and the other and I take them here and there and I do so much for them. That's great and that's wonderful. But you are failing as a father. And I would be failing as a father if first and foremost, I know that was a tough statement, but it's biblical. If first and foremost, we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if we say our, we want our kids to be blessed, the only way they're going to be blessed by God is if their dad has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And if you want to know what that looks like today, I'll tell you what it looks like. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. The men and women that were there, they got convicted in their heart. And they said, I, we need to have a relationship with the Jesus that we just crucified. We realize he really was the Messiah. We really was, we, we understand now he really was God and we feel bad for what we did. And we want to come into a right relationship with him. How do we do that? What is the first thing we need to do? To get right with God and get a right relationship with the Lord. And Peter tells them, Acts 2.38. Then Peter says back to them in response to their question. He said, the first thing you need to do is repent. Repent means to say, God, I'm tired of living the way I'm living. I'm tired of doing the things I'm doing. I'm tired of living in sin. I'm tired of living contrary to your word and contrary to you. But from this moment on, God, I'm going to serve you. God, I'm going to live for you. Come on now. Repentance means it's an about face. It means you're walking one way and you turn 180 degrees and you begin to walk in the exact opposite direction. I'm not going to do these things anymore. I'm not going to go here anymore. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to act like this anymore. I'm not going to do what is contrary to the word of the Lord anymore. But from this moment on, God, I want to please you with my life. From this moment on, I want to serve you. From this moment on, I want to live for you. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to make a mistake. It just this means that from this moment on you're going to serve God and when you mess up you're going to get up you're going to repent again and you're going to keep serving him and you're going to keep living for him repentance and then he says once you've repented of your sins then you need to be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the washing away of your sins let me tell you something once you've repented of your sins you are a biblical candidate to be baptized in Jesus name we just baptized two, two last Sunday and what a wonderful thing it was and let me tell you what happens when you go down in that watery grave of baptism under the name of Jesus and you come up out again every single one of your sins have been washed away every mistake you've ever committed is washed away every failure has been washed away every sin is gone in the eyes of the Lord he cast it into the sea of forgetfulness it is washed away and then he says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What is that? That's the presence of Almighty God that fills all space and time. But he's no longer just filling space and time. Now he's filling you. I said, now the God of all heaven has taken up residence in your life. And my Bible says this, ye shall receive 
power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You want to know what you need in order to live right and do right and walk right, power to overcome the addictions and the struggles and the difficulties of life? If you could have fixed it with your own strength, you would have already fixed it. What you need is the power that can only come from receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. For when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Woo! It's not just you anymore, but you got the power of Almighty God living on the inside of you to do right and live right and talk right and raise your family right and be the husband you're supposed to be and the father you're supposed to be. Stand to your feet. Ah, It's the will of God. It's the will of God. It's the will of God for every man in this house. Every woman in this house. Every child, every teenager in this house. To get in right relationship with the Lord before you leave today. Listen, I understand we got some single moms in the house. Today might be a tough day for you and a tough day for your kids. I get it. But moms, if there is no dad in the house, you need to be in right relationship with God. I said you need to be in right relationship with God. Some in the house that aren't married yet, don't have kids yet, but one day you would so desire... Don't wait until that day to get into right relationship with Jesus Christ. You get in that relationship with Jesus Christ now. Oh, hallelujah. I wonder if we can lift our hands all across this auditorium. Ah. I'm going to say this. It's somewhat of a pointed statement, somewhat of a strong statement, but it's a true statement. Dad, if you say you love your kid, the greatest love you could show that child is for you to get right with Jesus Christ. The greatest love you could ever show that kid is not putting a roof over their head, food on the table, clothes on their back. The greatest love you could ever show that child is for you to get right with Jesus Christ. It's for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. We lift our hands one more time as we're being sensitive to the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I need somebody to join me now in prayer. I need somebody to join me now in faith.